0: Hi, and welcome to my first ever episode of Control Alt Delete, my new podcast where I get to interview really amazing people about uh, the internet and social media and feminism and all sorts of different things. My book comes out in July uh, with Penguin Random House called Control-Alt-Delete, How I Grew Up Online. And of course, that tells my story of growing up on the internet. But I'm going to use this podcast as an excuse to ask other people about their experiences online too. So I'm very excited to introduce my first guest, who is one of my favourite ever authors. Um, I'm thrilled to say that Liz Gilbert is on the podcast as my first guest, which is so exciting. Um, She is obviously... (laughs) For those of you who don't know and are living under a rock, the best-selling author of Eat, Pray, Love, which spent 199 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Riverhead Books, the publisher of Eat, Pray, Love, also has a book coming up this year called Eat, Pray, Love, Made Me Do It, which is an amazing book of life journeys and essays from people who were really touched by that book and whose lives changed when they read it. She's also the author of Signature of All Things, an incredible novel, and also Big Magic, which is one of my favourite reads of last year. I keep picking it up from the bookshelf and rereading bits. Um, it really inspired me in lots of ways. So I'm going to stop waffling on now and let you listen to the interview. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm
1: good. How are you? I'm
0: well, thank you. Oh Liz, thank thank you so much. I know you're very busy.
1: That's all right. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Um oh. I'm super curious about what you're what you're up to.
0: <laughs> how are things? I saw on um, Instagram that you had you've been in Australia?
1: Yes, Australia and New Zealand. And um, we took this little side trip to Tasmania, which I know is technically Australia, except that it doesn't feel like it is at all um, we had an amazing trip it was fantastic my my grandkids kicked my ass um because they're little you know they're little ferocious bundles of energy um, but it was really fun
0: <laughs> amazing so it wasn't work related then
1: uh, it was both a little bit of both. everything these days is so blended up that i can't even tell anymore what's um what's work what's pleasure what's life but it was great it was it was really fun
0: yeah I saw a, a picture of you and um Renee Brown and I was that was just so cool seeing you guys together obviously you're friends but did was that was that a random meetup? you bumped into each other Yeah
1: she happened to be in Sydney um at the same time that I was and she saw you know this is the the great thing about social media mm-hmm. <laughs> like she saw some Australia picture on Instagram and realized that I was there and and that she was coming in at the same time. So we only had a tiny bit of time together um, that we intersected, but we were able to go for a walk around Sydney Harbor for about an hour and a half and just get a lot of stuff figured out. <laughs> So if you get an hour and a half to walk around with Brene Brown, man, shit gets <laughs> sorted. Shit gets sorted out. She's so bad.
0: And being away from home and being in the sunshine and oh, it looked, yeah. it looked amazing. So, how has how um, it been this year that it's been the 10th anniversary of Eat, Pray, Love? I'm curious to, to know how that feels, whether it feels like it's flown by or, or the opposite.
1: It has feel, felt like it's flown by and that is a very good sign because that is something I've learned is a sign of happiness is when time moves fast. Um, and, you know, uh, my husband and I were talking the other day and I said, my my, my best wish for our, our life and our life together is that it goes by in like 10 seconds, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is weird because normally we want to, you know, we're like, oh, I don't want years to pass. I don't want time to pass. but But if you're... Doing w- what you're supposed to be doing with the people that you're supposed to be with, um, feeling the gratitude and the flow, then a year goes by in five seconds, you know? Um, and so the best that I can sort of, weird prayer that I can sort of hope for people is that their life is moving by too fast. <laughs> because when I know from having stood in the other place that depression and despair, Slow time down, um, you know, and every day is a ten-year prison sentence, you know, um, and and I've been in that place, and I was in that place, and I'm certainly not in that place now. So, so yeah, it, it seems outrageous to me that 10 years has already passed um since the pray love happened it, it's a blink a blink of the eye um and it's you know the really cool beautiful commemorative thing that's happening is that my publisher riverhead is producing this book that you might have seen me talking about um yes, I called that love one. made me do it yeah. yeah um and that's been very moving because it's dozens and dozens of essays that people wrote about what that book made them do and made them change and that's incredibly touching for me to see I mean I I hear stories like that randomly but to see it all collected in one place is very moving
0: yeah and that's an incredible idea because like you say um, you know in your TED talk that it's it was your story but a lot of people believe it's their story as well
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and it is I mean it made me able to see I feel like I sort of finally have an answer when people say why do you think this book had the impact that it did? Because I've always been like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, your guess is as good as mine. I have no idea why this thing happened like this. But when I read those essays and people answer that question for me, you know, um, and they say what happened to them, what I see repeated again and again is people saying that they, they've something about that story delivered to them this memo that they hadn't been getting so far. And the memo is, your life is yours. <laughs> And your life doesn't have to, whatever, it doesn't have to look like this anymore. Whatever the this is, which is different in so many people's circumstances, whether this is a toxic relationship or a terrible job situation or a city or a country or a town that you just don't feel connected to anymore or a religious path that is no longer serving you, to the point that when you go, to this religious organization that you were born into, you feel like throwing up in your mouth (laughs) Um, when you hear the way they're talking. And, and whatever the thing is that just feels like, you know, issues that you've got with your body, self-abuse, self-hatred, you know, there can be this point where you just decide, like, it doesn't, tomorrow doesn't have to look like yesterday. Um, And it feels like such an obvious thing, but it's incredible how, how long it can take us to get to that point.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's why it's, been selling so well for years because it's not anything that just goes away. You know, it's not, it's almost not timely. It's so universal and so ongoing. It's,
1: it's funny for me when I meet, you know, 19 year old girls who are reading Eat, Pray, Love. And I think you were, (laughs) you were eight years old when I, when I, you were like seven and a half when I was going through my divorce. How can I possibly have anything to say to you? But these are Eternal and ongoing questions, yeah. without
0: doubt. I couldn't help but notice that it's also Twitter's ten-year anniversary this year. Really? And yeah. And I and I I have to ask that I guess when you wrote you Pray, Love, Twitter was like a you know in its infancy, probably like a week old or something. And I don't know, if, I don't know if Facebook was around then. But how does it compare to the process of writing? Because um, I found it quite difficult when I'm writing. I always have this fear in my head that whatever I say is gonna be taken out of context and spread around the internet and um and it's probably not a very logical fear, but it is one of my. Um how <laughs> how how is it different that back then I guess you didn't need to worry so much about people tweeting a paragraph or whatever. It was it was almost the book it's just gonna be in book form.
1: Um well, that is a really interesting question. I don't think I've ever worried about that particular thing. Mm. Um, but I think that what is different is that th- me today, if I were on that journey, I would have been sharing the entire time. Um, I would have been sharing pictures uh, on Instagram mm-hmm. of me and Richard from Texas in India. I would have been sharing pictures of pizza in Naples. I would have been sharing, you know, one tweet quotes from Katutli or the medicine <laughs> yeah. man. It would have been it would have been leaking and disseminating out of me all the while um now of course if i was who i was then there'd be like 300 people <laughs> following it you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be the the number of people who who show up these days for for stuff that i have to say but um, and i don't like to say that that would have been better or worse um, it's just the reality of the landscape that we live in and um and it would have been different, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And and that's all right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and I definitely think we have to be careful not to ever do a thing that, that I'm tempted to do at times and I see other people being tempted to do, which is to hearken back in nostalgia to some earlier time when things were simpler or easier, because I'm, I'm here to testify that that time did not exist. (laughs) Um, There never was a time when things were simpler or easier and there never was a sort of golden age of, of anything. Um, And, and there was no social media then and that's how it was and there is now and that's how it is. And there's benefits and, and detriments to both. But I certainly found no shortage of things to worry about 11 years ago um without having to worry about
0: social media yes oh my god definitely the way you use facebook is incredible and i love following it i love that whatever you're thinking about you kind of you'll write something so poetic and it's like mini essays or um, sometimes maxi essays, sometimes <laughs> really long ones. <laughs> you know, I love reading them. But it's interesting how you say in the back of Big Magic that you use that community to crowdsource you know, ideas and reply to individuals. How's that process been? Um, and do you think you'll carry on working like that? Because a lot of people take a break from social media when they work, but in your case, it's, it's helped the process.
1: It certainly did with the writing of Big Magic. And I can say with no hyperbole, that that book would not exist, or at least it would not exist in the form and the voice in which it does without that ongoing conversation on my Facebook community. Um, you know, that book was born out of out of those voices, um, out of those questions, out of that, that communion that's happening on that page every day, um, and the themes that seem to just keep showing up in the questions that people are asking me there and in the stuff that I'm thinking about, um, which is always about how are we meant to unfold other hidden, deeper, more interesting, broader versions of ourselves? Um, <laughs> um, what's in the way? Um, what's it time to? What's it time to keep, try to get rid of today? What's it time to try to improve on? Um, how do we accept ourselves as we are, while at the same time trying to be better? <laughs> You know, um, how do we hold the contradiction between those two seemingly mutual, you know, um, mutually inc- incongruous ideas? But that actually, that is kind of how it is, and that is what we're being called to do. Um, you know, these are these are questions that I I really got to finesse and and discuss on Facebook, and then all of a sudden I was like, hey, I think. I've thought about this enough that it's time to write a book about it. And I'm sure that will happen again with other subjects. What I don't know yet, because I haven't done it yet, is I have not yet written a novel while I'm actively on social media. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm doing right now. I guess I'm doing it right now. I mean, I'm doing research for it. I haven't started writing it yet. Um, because I wasn't on social media even when I was writing The Signature of All Things. So
0: That's interesting, that perhaps, the difference between the two, because Big Magic was something that you were living, whereas... I've never obviously uh, tried to write a novel, but I can imagine it's very solitary and you're escaping your real life to write about something else.
1: And you're escaping your real voice to write in another voice, right? Big Magic is in my is written absolutely in my conversational voice, which is the same voice in which I'm talking to you and the same voice that I'm talking to my friend Raya this morning and the same voice that we're going to see on Facebook later today, <laughs> right? Like, that's all just... Me being like blah blah blah, and I think, and another thing, you know, that's just my, that's just my internal monologue becoming external. Monologue. Which,
0: which is which is why the Big Magic podcast was so great, is because it was, it was just an extension of the book.
1: Yeah, and and the, which is a, just an extension of what I'm thinking about. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: On a random Thursday, you know, um, but but novel writing is almost like a, um, gosh, it's almost more like sometimes I think of it as more theatrical because you're becoming these characters, you know, um, you're, you're going deep into these voices and especially the novel that I'm about to start writing. It's the first time that I've written a novel in the first person. So essentially I'm writing a fake memoir, um, wow. from a non-existent person. And, and so I will have to sort of become her. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, we'll see how that goes. I, I mean, I do have the possibility of just, cause I'm, I don't know. I just feel like it's so easy to be candid with my Facebook page, and I, if it if it comes to it, I may just say, um, "Hey guys, uh, I got a novel to write. I'm just going to recycle some old posts." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's one from 2014, um, and just throw some old material up on there, or just you know maybe just keep you know close it down for a while. Um, but but we'll see. And so far, it has yet to become
0: um, a problem. Yeah. I mean, you'll say so honest about your process always. So I guess. No one would be surprised if you needed to just go away for a for a few months or weeks.
1: I think you would miss them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: we'd miss you. (laughs) You know, I would
1: miss so much. If I can do it without doing that, I certainly will.
0: I was wondering whether um how you deal with sort of how much time you need to take to reflect on a project that's out there and how how quickly you move on to the next.
1: You know, there's always something else in the hopper, which is how work gets finished in in my brain anyway. the best incentive that I can have to finish a project is the excitement that I have about the next one. You know, um, so you get weary of the project that you've been working on no matter what it is, which is also why it's a good reason to begin a creative project at the highest possible level of excitement because... Three years down the road, you're going to be so tired of that thing. <laughs> so, so have the, you know, start high so that you've got like some gas in the tank to, to use as it starts to get tedious. Because there will be times when it becomes tedious and boring. Um, and there will be the seduction of this other idea um, that's sort of doing a, a, a dance of the seven veils in the corner Saying like, "Come to me. I'm really sexy and interesting. We're gonna have such a good time together. Why don't you leave that tired old marriage of that project that you've been working on for three years and run away and have a have a dance with me?" And um, and I'm always telling people who say, "You know, I I'm working on something, but I have another idea, and I don't know, you know, which one I'm supposed to do." Um, like, be careful of being seduced away from a boring idea that you're already working on by a sexy new idea that you haven't worked on. Just know that in two years, that sexy new idea is also going to look really drab and tired.
0: And <laughs> it's so true. It's like the honeymoon period. It's like having affair, <laughs> right? It's a little bit like, oh man, that
1: just seems like it's going to be so exciting. In a couple of years, you're going to be annoyed with that person too. So just know that, then make whatever decisions you need to make. Um, but but so, so I don't so much need to reflect. I feel like sometimes I need to take a rest just from being in public um, because when you bring a book out, there's a lot of, you know, you're, you're in public a lot. And I've been in public a lot for the last five or six months. And you just need a little bit of a pause. Um Not long, because I get bored easily, but just a little, <laughs> just a little quiet time to kind of resettle and then get back to work.
0: Yeah. Do you, um do you enjoy the, the sort of the marketing of the book and the talks and the sort of doing that stuff? Or do you prefer the work itself? Because it's an interesting one. I know a lot of people that really enjoy the promotion, um, sometimes more than the work, um, and the other way around.
1: Um, it's a different thing. It's not, well, I, sh- I, I shouldn't say it's not better or worse, because the truth is that when, when I am doing well writing, when I'm into the thing, you know, when the book is singing and going smoothly and the work is going well, there, there is simply no better feeling in the world than that you know nothing nothing can compete with that um but i think i have an understanding of the fact that you don't get to nor is it advisable to live in that state all the time and and it's not possible even to live in that state all the time you know like those episodes i have where like the writing is just golden it's just coming out so well and i'm so happy and i'm so pleased it takes years to build up to that um And I mean years per book, you know, like with the signature of all things, I got that moment only after four years of research, only after an enormous amount of preparation, only after writing like six outlines for what the novel was going to look like. There's all this groundwork that you have to do before you're allowed to fly. And I think people want to just be born flying (laughs) you know and that feeling is so good and so addictive and so lovely that you're like why can't every day be like that um and the answer is because you didn't build it yet you didn't build up to it yet and and then if you want your work to be in the world where people can see it and talk about it and engage with it which is not something that you need to want but if you happen to want that and i do then the other part of it is that you must go be the ambassador for that work, you know? Um, and I do enjoy it as long as I follow my own rules about how to take care of myself on the road so that I don't get too tired. And as long as I set appropriate boundaries and as long as I trust trust myself when there's an invitation that comes and I feel like I should do it but I don't want to as long as I allow myself to say no. <laughs> um, as long as I'm doing things that, that I that I want to be doing with the sort of people who I want to be engaging with um, in a way that doesn't take away all my energies then yeah I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, but I've learned from painful personal experience you know how to do it in a way that you won't like it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really nice listening to you talk about projects you don't mind sharing that you might work on something along these lines in the future. Um, Some people are very secretive with upcoming projects, but it's such a personal thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I think you have to obey your own nature on that. You know, Um, I know there's a very persuasive and very successful Ted talk out there that, that says do not tell people about your project um, because it is, it will make you less likely to do the project. And there's some neurological explanation for that, that when you're talking about the thing that you want to make, there's some part of your brain that gets the satisfaction that says, oh, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, sorry, I just dropped my iPad. Um, that talking, that, like, there's some part of your brain that can't tell the difference between talking about what you want to do and actually doing the thing, which I think is adorable and another reason why we're so freaky um, and funny and such crazy primates. Um, but that's not the case with me. Um, there's a, There's another way to see it, and that way is... Now I've said it, now I've committed to it, now I've thrown the flag really far ahead of myself, now I've dared myself to do this thing, now everybody knows I'm doing this thing because I said I'm doing this thing, now I have to do it. Um, and, And that seems to work better for me. Maybe it's the fear of public shaming. <laughs> um, I really don't want to be on record for having said that I'm going to do something and then not do it, right? Yeah. It's just my own ego, but it it serves me in that way.
0: I know what you mean, because I'm such a believer in visualization and really, yeah. really believing something's going to happen. Um, me and my friends sometimes have conversations like something's already happened, So that Mm -hmm. we're sort of really manifesting it. Um, And it's the same with me. I'll tweet saying, I'm working on another book, which means I'm telling myself I'm going to do it.
1: I'm beginning to tell myself. Well, it's this conversation that I think is a really important one to to try to create and to try to create in the healthiest friendliest Mm -hmm. way which is the conversation between your past self your present self and your future self which is essentially what your internal monologue is always going to be and and if you can find ways to reach across time and communicate with future emma (laughs) (laughs) and um and like say future emma current emma is on your side believing that you will be able to write this book like there's this sort of um there's this voice of, of, of kind of trust and friendliness and faith that you can start to, to have with, with yourself. Um, and there's normally quite a bit of it that, that has to be done in advance. When I'm doing that work, which is not the most exciting part, you know, um, which sometimes can be tedious, which sometimes can be uninspiring, I'm doing it as a gift to future Liz. Um, because I know that when future Liz, two years from now, sits down to write the novel and has these five shoeboxes filled with index cards of notes and research and interviews and details, she will be so grateful to pass Liz. And I actually will like sort of do a little salute to myself, like when I was working on The Signature of All Things and I would find some really juicy, cool piece of dialogue or, or research or, or some fact or information about the 19th century that I had like done myself the favor of writing down two years earlier I would just say thanks past Liz (laughs) like oh man you just made my work today so easy thank you so much it's a little bit like a friend of mine who always says he flosses his teeth every day as a gift to his future self like hey it's just me sending you a little gift into the future that you're not going to have to go to the dentist in three years and you're not going
0: to have to pay loads of money to get that it's so true One thing I really took away from Big Magic, probably more than, well, just the thing that really stuck in my mind was just be creative and don't worry if it's good at first. And I feel like I've just got the whole first book thing out of the way so that future me can just get better.
1: Well, you broke the spell. um, And the spell is, I don't know if I'm a person who's capable of making a thing. And, um, And now that spell has been broken. And now yeah, now you get to go make a better one, (laughs) or at least a different one, maybe not even a better one, but another one, Um, and and another one after that, and another one after that, and, you know, I can't think of a better way to spend your life Mm. than that.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, So I thought I'd end on a, just a bit more of a sort of frivolous question, I guess. Um, I really love what you wear. (laughs) And I wondered that, um, uh, what sort of things feel most comfortable? Um, And I love that you all wear something really kind of um, quite smart when you're on stage having an interview or, and I've met you in person when you're kind of having more of a down day. Um, (laughs) What's your relationship with clothes and what makes you feel more like Liz Gilbert?
1: Mm-hmm. I like them. I like them a lot. And I've given up on pretending that I don't um, because there's some part of me that thinks, you know, we shouldn't care about such frivolous things. And I totally do care about
0: these things. <laughs>
1: um, and I get excited by a new thing and I get excited by a shiny thing. Um, and look, I spend most of my life wearing, like like most of us who don't, especially because I don't go to an office, I spend most of my life wearing exactly the same pants that I have on right this moment as I'm talking to, and I'll wear them until the sun explodes. Um, And exactly the same tank top and exactly the same sweater, gray charcoal wool sweater that I've been wearing since I was allowed to start choosing my clothes, right? Like, um, that's my day-to-day uniform. But I do find that um, there's a line from a book, and my sister always quotes it, and I wish I could remember what it's from, from an old children's book that says, we must dress well or our futures will not take us seriously. <laughs> and um, and there are certain occasions where it really helps me to go out in public feeling armored, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the the case that I can think of, like on the TED stage, for my second TED talk, my first TED talk, I didn't know better. And I just showed up and whatever I was wearing, because they were like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And that was before TED was a big deal.
0: 12 million views my, later. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Right? Like, I think my hair, I think I'd just woken up and put my hair up in hair clips. And it's fine. It's perfect. But the second one, I was really nervous. And I wore a suit for a suit of armor. You know, when I went on the Stephen Colbert show, I wore a suit, because I wanted to be like, you know, I wanted to be like boardroom ready. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be like really put together. And when I did the Oprah Winfrey tour in stadiums with 20,000 people, I wore the prettiest dresses that I could find because like really girly Oscar de la Renta embroidered tea dresses, um, you know, with with great big colors and flowers on them. Because I was talking to a audience that I knew was composed of Ninety-eight percent women, and the speech that I was giving was so ferociously feminist, and I knew that, especially in some of these places, in Atlanta, Georgia, for instance, um, you know, it's a different culture from what I'm used to. Some of these messages might seem alarming uh, to to some women, and so I was like, "Look, I'm just going to be your pretty friend. I'm your pretty. I'm just your pretty friend, who." comes to a cocktail (laughs) party before wedding wearing a pretty dress i'm not threatening you don't have to be scared of me look i'm just a pretty girl in a pretty dress with pretty flowers on it and pretty heels and now i'm going to tell you to grab onto the horns of your life like a motherfucker (laughs) that you don't need to have children and that you can walk away from your shitty divorce and that you are on a hero's journey. And I'm going to, but I'm going to be pretty, I'm a pretty dress. (laughs) Um, and, and it's okay. You can trust me. And you know, it was a really calculated decision. Um, In order to put that room at ease and also in order to show them respect, I'm going to get dressed up for you. Um, I'm not going to come out here in jeans and clogs. I'm going to come out here looking like I care about you. Um, And then I'm going to ask you to be more brave and to be less dependent. (laughs) Um, And that's what we're going to talk about today in my flowery tea dress.
0: (laughs) I think I've seen um, a clip of that on YouTube and it is so powerful. Because you kind of walk on and and then suddenly it just the room erupts
1: it was cool yeah. it was and it was scary yes. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you there was a moment um and this is you know I know you love brene Brown and I do too, and all of us have been so changed and moved by her her work about vulnerability, and I had this moment before going out and that first Arena. I mean, I'm never, I'm never going to speak to a sta- like a stadium where like sports teams play again. You know, I mean, it's 20,000 people in this, in this stadium and I have to give a 50 minute speech and hold their attention. And I was backstage and I've, I've been nervous about it for months and I just had this realization that it's a really important one to have at certain moments in your life where I, I thought I had this little speech to myself and I said, look, there are times in your life where The greatest gift that you can give another human being, especially another woman, is to show them your vulnerability, to let them see your frailty, to let them see your humanity, to let them see your nervousness, to let them see your insecurity so that they don't feel so alone in theirs. This is not one of those moments. (laughs) (laughs) Like There are also moments where the greatest gift that you can give, especially to a room full of women who have come wanting... Instruction on how to be braver is to show them your dignity and your self confidence and your self assurance and your courage. Um, And don't let them see the frailty and the humanity because they have enough of their own. (laughs) And they didn't come here today to get more of that. They came here today to see how to stand in their own strength. And that's your job. That's what you were hired to do today. And this is a time when that is only, that's the only thing you're going to do. No matter what happens out there on that stage, whether you completely forget your lines, whether they hate you, whether they boo you, you stand in dignity and show them what that looks like. That's your job today. Other days on Facebook, you can talk about what a mess you are,
0: <laughs> it's so true. But not today.
1: not today. And there are days in our lives where we have to know that, that this is not a day for that.
0: It's like, with, um, it's like with friends. Sometimes you want them to sort of crumble with you. And sometimes you just want someone to say, pull yourself together.
1: Yes, exactly. And a good friend should sort of know. Yes. <laughs> um, there's times to say, they're their little bunny, you know, and and pour the cup of tea. And there's times to be like, you're better than this yes. and you're stronger than this. And the person who I know that you are, who is within you, needs to get that Fucking scrunchie <laughs> out of her hair, and wash that snot off her face, and delete all those emails from that asshole, and not ever pick up a phone call from him again. Yes, and, and go out and be. This is a warrior moment. Let's mm-hmm. do this, you know. And and I've had friends who have said both, you know, been both of those things to me. Um, and it also, I think there also is a time where you know which friend to call. Yes. <laughs>
0: So true. You know what you need. <laughs> the one with the
1: sympathy, or the one who's going to be like, "Get your sword and helmet <laughs> and get out there and show them who you yeah. are."
0: <laughs> oh, and I, I love that you and Brené can both be those things as well. Because um, in the the video that Brené did, um "It's not the critic that counts." I think I watch that most weeks, <laughs> um, but that's a real moment of, "I'm vulnerable, but I'm also going to tell you." not to care and get out there and do your thing
1: well the only way you sort of can be strong is by knowing your vulnerability and by being empathetic toward it and by recognizing it you know that moment backstage at oprah i wasn't saying i'm not nervous (laughs) (laughs) this is easy i talk to arenas all the time no pressure here i got this I wasn't saying that. I was saying I am nervous and I have never done this before. And I don't know whether I can get through this 50 minute speech without a teleprompter without dropping the the line of thought. I don't know whether these people want to hear what I have to say. But I know that it is vital right now to model what self-assurance looks like and um and what self-assurance looks like is I'm going to be okay no matter how this goes <laughs> right like that's what self-confidence looks like this cannot work this could be a disaster and I'm still safe yes because I know who I am and I know what I and I know what I am
0: yeah oh thank you Liz you're, you're so inspiring and um it means so much to me that you um you know I know that you're very busy so thank you so much for talking to me
1: You're welcome. I had a great pleasure. And it was so nice to meet you in London. And I hope our paths cross again.
0: I mean, it was that was sort of big magic to me that I know the internet does that a lot. You know, you someone sees something and then you kind of cross over. And I think that's what's so amazing about for me having my blog is that I can, I can really express what I feel and people sometimes read it. (laughs) amazing right
1: like I mean I always think of it as you you carve this sculpture and then you take it over to the edge of a cliff and you throw it off a cliff Um, and it lands on a beach somewhere and somebody's walking along the beach looking for seashells or getting over a breakup or trying to get the courage to learn how to swim and they find your sculpture half buried in the sand and they're like what's this thing and you never know who that person is going to be or what the state of their mind is going to be when they find it. But it's such a cool thing when you realize that that connection has been made. And, um, and so that's how we met. You threw a sculpture over a cliff into the sand. I saw it. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> I like what she's doing. Hey, you want to come to a party?
0: <laughs> I could not contain myself. Um, it was amazing, but it's, it's true, isn't it about, you know, I, I always say that no one knows what you do unless you show people and, I can't let things sit in a dusty drawer because you never know who might stumble across it. And it's always that theory of probability, like the more that you chuck out into the world, the more likely something will happen.
1: Well, listen, you and I are having this conversation now precisely because you did that. And as much as I travel and as many thousands of places in the world that I have been and will be in my life, the odds of me accidentally walking into your apartment, opening up a desk drawer and pulling out a manuscript are zero. <laughs> you know, so the only way that I was ever going to learn about you was by you putting yourself into yeah, the world, right? Yeah. Like that's it. And you me, um, you know, that's how we find each other. And, and that's one of the things we're here to do so you got to put it out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you so much. And um, I can't wait to read um, Eat, Pray, Love Made Me Do It. I'm, I've pre-ordered it and I'm so excited to read it.
1: Oh, it's very touching. I'm going to have very... to reread
0: Eat, Pray, Love before I read it, I think. <laughs> I'm going to have to have like, double <laughs> You're session. you so sweet.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you, Emma. And um, lots of love to you and good luck on, on everything that's going on with you right now.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this first episode. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes and listen on acast.com. I'm on Twitter at Girl Austin City. I'd love to hear your feedback and thanks so much. See you next week.